If you would like to borrow a Bible this morning, would you please raise your hand and our ushers will bring you a Bible. When you're done, just leave it in the pew afterwards. After the service today, we have a membership class. For those of you who are interested in learning more about the church, perhaps joining the church, it will be at our offices at 611 South. And, you know, we have students that are members of our church, people of all ages, members of our church. So if you'd like to find out more about our church, right after the service at our offices at 611 South Boulevard. We're still in the book of Matthew, and we're now in Matthew chapter 8. We just finished up the Sermon on the Mount. You kind of wonder, you're like, what's next? What are we going to talk about next? Well, we've been talking about Jesus' message, his sermon, for several months now. But he's not just preaching a message. He also came to bring uh, a mission, not just words, but also of action. And so as we start to move past the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see some more of his, uh, not just authoritative teaching, but some of his authoritative power in action. We've got a little bit of glimpse of it before the Sermon on the Mount, but now it's going to be in full force. So let's go ahead and stand. We're in Matthew 8. And let's see not only his powerful words, but also his powerful deeds. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, that's where he was preaching, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You may be seated. It's really simple to follow today. We have three scenarios as Jesus is demonstrating his authority, as you could tell, over sickness. But it's not just an emphasis on power. It's an emphasis upon power shown in compassion. And not just compassion to anybody, but compassion to those within the society who wouldn't normally receive compassion. 
It's compassion shown to the marginalized, to the outcast, to those who are on the outside, the disadvantaged. It's compassion to those the society would say, you know what, I'm not going to show compassion to the leper. And why not? Because he can make me ritually unclean. I'm not going to show compassion to the centurion because the centurion's a Roman and on the other team. And I'm not going to show compassion to uh, the woman because women in that society were at a disadvantage. But in power and authority, Jesus reaches out with compassion to the outsiders and he brings healing and he kind of welcomes them in. Now, when you look at a text like this and you think, okay, I know where you're going to go with this sermon. This is the way it's got to be. Okay, Jesus shows compassion to the disadvantaged. So if we follow Jesus, we're supposed to show compassion to the disadvantaged as well, right? That's, that's where you think we're going. Hey, that's a great point. But I don't think we can jump there just yet. And in fact, we're not going to jump there at all today if you're okay with that. Because I don't think that you and I can adequately show compassion until we get at first a right assessment of who we are. And when we're reading this story, the right assessment of who we are is to say, look, this is us. Jesus just preached a sermon on the mount to his disciples and to the crowd. And he was talking about being poor in spirit. Those who mourn. That, that's the way you enter the kingdom in this brokenness. And now he's going out and he's displaying this compassion on people that could perhaps be defined as that and his disciples are not to move on too quickly because they are to see themselves here you are the object of Jesus' compassion you are the one that needs his power to act in your life and weakness so don't move on too quickly to think oh Jesus shows compassion we should show compassion let's first see ourselves this morning as those in need of his power and compassion ourselves and that's what we're going to do is we look at these three scenarios these three scenes at our church, we talk a lot about our ethos, and part of our ethos is something called humble orthodoxy. Now, if you don't understand the word orthodoxy, it just means we, we want to know the Bible and, and, be, and be strong in the Bible. But what tends to happen if those who are strong in the Bible, specifically young people, is you tend to be pretty arrogant, right? I'm, I'm dogging on you, right? If you know the word, if you know it early, you, sometimes you can be arrogant about it. And you can be old and arrogant, too. But what we want to be is we want to be humble and hold to the Word of God. And the way we stay humble is we realize we're the ones in need. We're the ones that need to be poor in spirit, the objects of His compassion. We're the needy that need His power to act in our lives. And if we keep that disposition, we can facilitate this idea of humble orthodoxy among this body of Christ. So let's jump right in. Let's go for it. Let's start out with this leper. Start in verse 1, chapter 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So Jesus is coming down the mountain. He just gave this great sermon. You know, you got the crowds following him. And somehow, this leper makes his way through the crowd, comes up to Jesus. And he's, he's, he's very desperate because those with leprosy have this devastating skin disease that just pretty much destroys the body. And they were contagious physically. And they were also contagious spiritually. I mean, you can understand the physical contamination, but the idea is spiritually, if you came into contact with one, you'd be ritually unclean, and you've got to go through all these rituals before you can start doing sacrifices at the temple again. And so there were certain restrictions for those with this leprosy and how they could function in life. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but there are actually two whole chapters, and they are such exciting reading in Leviticus 13 and 14 that talks all about skin diseases. 
Dermatologists love it. It's the best chapters in the Bibles for them. Skin disease, really exciting. Read that sometime. So just to spare you this morning, if you have leprosy, there's some things that you're supposed to do. You could not live in town. You got to be outside the town. If you think the idea of leper colony, you got to live out there away from the towns. And you also had to wear certain clothes that designated that you were a leper. Rather than just having a shirt that says, I'm a leper, you would have to wear torn clothes. And your hair was to be kind of let down, kind of nappy and nasty. And you were to wear this veil from the top of your lip down. And as you walked among people, let's say you were going near the towns or around other people who didn't have uh, leprosy, you were to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. That's all the rules about leprosy that says in the Bible. So just imagine this leper. He sees somehow Jesus speaking uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. The crowd is still following, following Jesus, and he's making his way to the crowd. Unclean, unclean, unclean. And like, boy, boy, talking about people getting away. <laughs> yeah, they're just parting. And he makes his way up to Jesus, and he kneels down in desperation, and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me. I, I just love that. I love that. If you will, you can make me clean. He, he sees the power in Jesus. He sees the authority of Jesus. He's heard his teaching. He's seen some of his healings. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. So the issue is not power. The issue is willingness. Will you show compassion to me, Jesus, and heal me? Because you can certainly do it. And look what, look what Jesus says. Verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. He touched the man. I mean, couldn't he do like a little healing at a distance here? Do you have to touch him? It's like, don't touch him. You're going to get unclean. And, and yet he touches him and becoming, rather than becoming unclean, the man is healed. It says immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This is an absolute miracle because most people in this time understood that if a healing from leprosy happened, somehow it must be from God. And there was even an expectation in the Old Testament as they were building up to the time of the coming of the Messiah, the promised one of God, that then when the Messiah would show up on the scene, he would bring healing. In fact, one of the things that he would heal would be leprosy. And I think Jesus gives a little hint here that he is that Messiah because the leper goes, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, God is willing, God will. What does he say? He says, I will. This is God in the flesh. And so it's proper for the God in the flesh, the great God man, the promised one of God to say, I will be clean. But it's not enough for Jesus just to heal the man. He wants to restore him to society. Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to, the man, to them. So he's saying, look, man, don't waste your time talking about your healing just yet. Go to the priest, do the, the specific things laid out in Leviticus, Show the priest. The priest was to examine the man to say, okay, let's see if you've really been cleansed of leprosy. Let's, and if, if, if you have, let's go through all these ritual cleansing so that you can move away from your colony, so you can fix your hair, you can put some normal clothes on, you can get rid of your veil, and you can move back into community. 
So Jesus heals the man, and then Jesus restores him to community. And when I'm looking at this, if you really think about it, this is a beautiful picture of human desperation colliding with the power and compassion of God. Beautiful picture. This man is on his knees. He is humble. He is broken. He's desperate. He's dependent. He totally needs mercy. And at this point in the history of his life, in the history of the world, he recognizes that he has, check this out, once you really listen to this, he has this little window of opportunity where his need can intersect with the power and compassion of God. It's just a little window of opportunity. And when he hears Jesus' teaching, he knows his desperate condition, and he sees Christ, he could have said, I'm going to just stay here back and listen to Jesus. Because I don't know much about him. He, maybe he's just like those other rabbis that don't want to come close to me. So I'm just going to hang back here. Doesn't do that. He sees the window of opportunity that he has. Here's Jesus. Here's his need. He approaches Jesus. Desperation. Bam. Power of God. Compassion of God. Collides. And heals the man. And I totally believe this. There are times in our lives, I believe there are times in everybody's life, everyone in here will have these times in your life where your, your awareness of your need can collide with the power and compassion of God. There'll be times in our life where we're experiencing great sickness, pain, I don't know, loneliness, suffering. You know what it means to go through hard times. You have these little windows of opportunity where when you're experiencing that, you can run into the arms of your Father. You can cry out for Jesus, for, I don't know, salvation, for healing, for his presence, for his peace, for his comfort, and you can run to him. And I do want to say the power and the compassion of God is always available for you, but you're not always going to be aware of it for yourself, your need. You and I are not always aware, acutely aware of our need. The power of God is all available for us. But most of us can coast along in our lives with this low-grade suffering. And we have these certain windows where it spikes. We feel that we're really struggling with something, really have a lot of pain. And it's during those spikes where we can run to Christ and ask for mercy. But once that window closes, we just move on with our life and coasting until something else happens. And it's, it's true for every human being. I think every human being on this planet has seasons where they could just be coasting along and have these windows of opportunity to cry out for mercy because they're suffering. Let me tell you about this girl. I'm pretty sure she's still a teenager. Uh, I saw an interview with her last week. Her name is Demi Lovato, and she was in the movie Camp Rock. And I know some of you probably love Camp Rock when you're in high school, right? Yeah? Come on now. Camp Rock, Rock? All right, well, Camp Rock. She was in Camp Rock, and she uh, is a recording artist. And did you know she also professes to be a Christian? Well, she spoke on this interview about being bullied as a child. And as she was bullied as a child, what happened is that she started taking out, she started feeling bad about herself, like self-shame. And so she started cutting herself. You familiar with this? Cutting on her wrist? Cutting, cutting, and no one knew about it. I mean, she's, she's doing these huge concerts. She has her own TV show. Um, she's done successful movies and then a, a, a part two great movie but she's still cutting and she's covering it up but in, and so she goes to these red carpet events these, you, get, you get these glamour shots when you're on these red carpet events well one time she forgot to cover up her cuts with makeup and so she's doing this glamour shot with her wrist like this and she's busted and there's her cuts right there on her wrist exposed for the world to see 
And so she's confronted by her parents. She's confronted by those who love her, who care about her, her manager. They're all over her. And she, that's her window of opportunity. That's her window right there. She's busted. It's time to get out of this cutting. It's time to get out of all these issues you're dealing with. Now's the time. And yet she just passes over it. The window she had, she said, no, I'm fine. I'm doing great. It's not really a problem. So she keeps going along in her life. She's struggling with eating disorders. She's purging. She's doing these concerts. She's just purging, 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 cutting, cutting, cutting. And so eventually, as you may know, it came out in the tabloids that she ended up punching a, a, a dancer that was on the tour with her. And it was at that second window that came up where she's totally busted, where this window of opportunity came up in her life of this need where she can turn and get help. She eventually ended up going to rehab, and I don't know the extent where she turned to the Lord during that time, but I want to tell you, you know what that's like. Coasting along, struggling, having hard times, you have these, these spikes where your need is, is out there, and you can, right then, right then, you have the opportunity to turn to the Lord, cry out to Him for His power, cry out to Him for His compassion, but if you ignore it, that window will shut and you'll keep coasting. And as a pastor, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. I can see someone come to church, and they drift away, and they come back six months later, and I say, dude, where have you been? And they go, well, I decided to come back to church because I'm going through such a hard time. And I'm thinking, all right, here's your window. (laughs) This is great. Make the most of your pain. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your struggle. Here's your chance to come to the Lord. And I see some turn to the Lord Jesus in their suffering. But I see more than I like to say, shut that window and bail. The leper here doesn't bail. He sees the opportunity. His desperation cries out for mercy. Well, we'll see the same thing in the centurion. Let's look. Verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed, at home suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now check this out. The Romans are occupying the land. You know that. And um, the Israels are is in submission to them. So this centurion is on the other team of the Romans. But rather than just pushing Jesus around as, you know, perhaps centurions would do as they would push Israelites around, this man is begging for mercy. So he's poor in spirit. He has his servant who is paralyzed and suffering terribly, and Jesus agrees to heal him. But this man is so humble. He said, you know what? I'm not worthy. I'm just this Roman pagan Gentile, and I'm not worried to have this Jewish rabbi come into my home. So he believes that Jesus can heal at a distance. Now look at his explanation. This is is great. Verse 9. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this centurion, he's, he's not this big main commander. I mean, he's only in charge of, of 100 guys, 100 soldiers. He's certainly not the emperor. But he has the authority of the emperor. So when he commands something to his soldiers, they have to obey because it's just like the emperor making this command. And so when they obey him, they are obeying the emperor. And so he makes the connection to Jesus and his authority. Look at verse 11. I tell you, I'm sorry, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. 
And the reason why he's commenting on his faith is because this centurion believes that just as he commands soldiers, he believes that Jesus has the power and the authority of God to command healing. So he understands power structures and authority structures, and he makes the leap of faith. If he has that authority and power, then Jesus, being one sent by God, definitely has the authority and power to heal. And so Jesus is impressed by this man's faith. And Jesus takes it even a step further and makes this sobering comment in verse 11 and 12. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this context, Jesus decides to teach his disciples about what legit faith is. He teaches, he's teaching his disciples here, and he says, all right, let me tell you about heaven and hell. Let me about tell you about who's in and who's out. Let me tell you who has legit faith and who doesn't. And the reason why he's teaching his disciples this is because they don't always get it. They just assume all Jews are in and all Gentiles are out. But Jesus is going to teach them about who's in and who's out. And it's going to go against the common assumption of the day. Now, for those of you who have trouble when Jesus talks about hell, you're going to have a lot of problems with Jesus because he talks about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. In fact, if you somehow want to take the compassionate Jesus and get rid of the judging Jesus, you're basically just cutting him in half and say, I'll take the half Jesus, the nice Jesus, the compassionate Jesus. But he, but he speaks about hell and judgment and wrath. He speaks about both. So I think we should put them together, take Jesus as a whole, and try to understand what he's saying here. All right, let's try to figure out what he's saying. So here we have the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount. Who was Jesus rebuking in the Sermon on the Mount most of the time? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, those who were going through the motions. He was rebuking them because they refused to be poor in spirit, they refused to mourn over their sins, and they refused to go in for the heart renovation. And so he's rebuking them because what they want to do, they want the external religious emotions. The motions, motions, motions that they think is going to get them into heaven. And so Jesus says, you think you're in while the Gentiles are out. Well, in fact, this Gentile by faith is in when people like you, though you're Jewish, you're out. And in the kingdom, you're going to have this Gentile dining with the very Jewish Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while you, the very Jewish Pharisees, scribes, and leaders, will be out in a place of hell, darkness, suffering. And you think, well, how is that possible? How could the preachers of the day, people like me, Pharisees, preachers of the day, they have the Word of God, they have the temple, and they have the sacrifices, and they're out. I mean, didn't they experience uh, problems like we do? Do you think they had financial challenges? Yeah. Do you think they had marriage difficulties? Yeah. Do you think they ever suffered in their body? Yeah, they had problems like the rest of us. And they even had the Bible. But you know what they did? Instead of coming to God broken, instead of coming to God humble, instead of crying out to Jesus for mercy, they turned to religion. They had their windows of opportunity time and time again, and they kept turning to religion. And I've done that before. I've told you before, when I was in high school, my senior year, I went through a very difficult time. I mean, I had this wide open window 
where it was time for me to come to grips with my suffering and my sin and to cry out to Jesus for repentance. But rather than crying out to the, the biblical Jesus <laughs> that's played right here in the Bible, I turned to the religious Jesus. Let me explain. Uh, I thought that somehow if I could get real religious, I could make my problems go away. Have you ever think that way? If I just get real religious, then the problems will go away. So I thought religion was like icons, pictures. So I turned my bedroom into the Jesus room. I put these pictures of Jesus on my wall. I went to Kmart. Kmart was really big back then. And layaway, you know, blue light specials. You don't know what that means, do you? All right, but I'd go to Kmart, like, I'm going to do some layaway here of some Jesus pictures because I've got to get a lot of Jesus pictures because Jesus pictures will make my problems go away. And so I had the opportunity to turn to Jesus and find salvation, but I turned to religion, which is all about destruction. Why, why would you want to do that? When you have these windows of suffering, why would you turn to something that really can't help you? Just pictures, just icons, just religion. The centurion is desperate, and he knows where to go. He goes right to Jesus, and what happens? This collision happens. This collision of the power and compassion of God come together, and right then, his servant is healed. That's powerful. Well, let's finish it up with this story of the woman. And the others, the crowd. Look at verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Can we just stop for a moment and acknowledge that the apostle Peter is married? And you, you women thought you had issues with your husband. I mean, can you imagine being married to Peter? Yeah, what an impulsive guy. Goodness gracious. All right, move on from that. So Peter's mother-in-law just has a fever. That's it. I mean, some of you have a fever right now. It's not like it's a big, big deal. She doesn't have paralysis. She doesn't have leprosy. She just has a fever. And Jesus moves with compassion, and he acts in power. And he heals her. Look at verse 15. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. She touched, he touched her hand. I mean, religious leaders in that day would never touch a woman. They think that would make them unclean. Jesus is like, no, I don't see the way you guys see. So he touches her and he heals her. And then she gets up and she begins to serve. Once again, he's having compassion on the marginalized, those who are on the outside, those who are at a disadvantage. He says, no, no, you're not marginalized. You're not at advantage. I welcome you in. I'll touch you and heal you. And then the crowds, boy, they're just, the floodgates are open. Look at the crowds, verse 16 and 17. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So after these three instances of healing, followed by many more healings and demons being cast out, 
Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes this comment that all of this healing that you are seeing, that you are witnessing, is connected with this Isaiah prophecy. For those of you who like to study the Word of God, I hope it's all of you, let's study now. Let's press in. Let's try to understand what Matthew is saying because it's challenging. Because what Matthew is saying is, is pretty powerful, especially for churches that are typically not as charismatic as ours. Some of you come from charismatic backgrounds. You've had this verse preached forever, so you know what it's going to say. But for those of you who don't come as much charismatic backgrounds, you need to get this. Because what, Jesus, what Matthew seems to be saying on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that all these healings are connected to the atonement. The cross of Christ. But when you read allusions to this Isaiah passage and other portions of the New Testament, it seems to be talking about Jesus taking on our sins on the cross. So how is him forgiving our sins on the cross connected with physical healing? Well, here's an example. First um, Peter 2.24. This is an example of how the New Testament generally interprets this passage in the atonement of forgiving our sins. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So that's talking about forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to try to just lay it out as, as clean as I can, as best as I can, and hopefully when we're done you'll grasp a little bit of it. Here we go. You know what causes sin, right? We fall, we do evil things, it's in us, it's who we are, it comes out of our heart, we are all born into sin, it's because of the fall, okay? Sickness comes because of sin. Not necessarily your individual choices, though, your individual choices can lead to uh, your, your sickness, but why do you get sick? Why do you have a fever? Why do you have a cold? Why are you going to die? Because of sin. Just the general sin in the world. So Jesus comes... This is the gospel. On his body, on the cross, are your sins and my sins. He's crucified in our place. He's buried. Three days later, he's rose victorious. Through repentance and faith in him, we have our sins forgiven. That's the gospel. But one day, when we die, and we're with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth, we will not experience death anymore. We will not experience colds or fevers or sickness anymore because there is coming a time where everything's going to be made new. And the reason why all that's going to be made new, including our, our new bodies, is because of the cross of Christ. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, all right, the kingdom is here. It's, it's breaking in. Let me demonstrate what it's going to be like. Bam. Let me heal your fever. Let me heal this leprosy. Let me heal this paralysis. Let me occasionally raise the dead. It's inbreaking of what he's going to do when it's all said and done. So the inbreaking of this healing is connected with the atonement because in the atonement, in the cross of Christ, we are forgiven of our sins and eventually one day there will be complete healing of our bodies. But every now and then, according to God's discretion, and as he sees fit, and as this church believes the Bible teaches, God still heals. As he so chooses. 
there are occasionally where these inbreakings will still happen, and you'll heal somebody. Maybe you've been healed before. Maybe you need healing right now. And this inbreaking still happens because of the cross and the manifestation of his power and his compassion on the cross to one day not only forgive us but come take away the effects of sin, but occasionally he still comes and acts in history to heal. And so what we have in the cross is the most beautiful picture of human desperation in sin colliding with the power and compassion of God to bring forgiveness and healing. In the cross, we see our desperate condition of sin placed upon Christ. He is bearing our sin. The full wrath of God is being poured out upon him. He takes it fully. He is buried. He raises again. So in the cross, the fullness of our desperation of sin collides in a massive way with the compassion and power of God to heal and forgive. And you know what this means for believers who have experienced the power of his salvation in the gospel? You know what this means for us? That every time we have a need, we should be the ones, as fast as we can run, to run into his arms. Run into his arms for mercy. Run into his arms for grace. Run into his arms for healing. I want to just kind of shout at you to don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your pain. Don't let these times in your life come up where you feel desperate and you turn to religion or you turn to idols. But use these times of suffering, these windows, to turn and press in further to Christ. I mean, could it be that you're going through a hard time of suffering right now and the reason why you're going through it is God is using it as a means to draw you closer to Him? Have you ever viewed your suffering like that? Have you ever used your pain like that and just thought about it, that God is going to use it right now to draw him, draw you closer to him? In about six weeks to three months from now, let's say until August, a significant number of you will not be here. You will transition out. You'll move on. You'll take the new job. You will pack up and leave. I know that. I know, you're, I know that's what normally happens. And I know that some of you do not have a job. You don't know where you're going to go. And even for those of you who do know where you're going to go, you're a little scared and you're fearful. And you can just say, well, it's just one of those times in my life I'm feeling a little scared. I'm, I'm anxious. I just wake up at night. I'm so worried. I can't even sleep. I'm sleeping like five hours at night because I'm worried. You can say, okay, that's what's happening to you. But you realize that this is a window of opportunity during this time for you to turn to the Lord for grace, for his presence. And for those of you who are experiencing physical suffering right now, it's time for you, a window of opportunity to come to him as your healer. For those of you who are experiencing a variety of struggles with sin, I know that some of you are struggling with sin right now. You're just fighting, fighting, fighting. It's time to turn to the one who equips you for battle. And for those of you who do not know Christ, maybe you're with us week in and week out and you're going through one of those times in your life where you're suffering, maybe this is the time for you to repent and turn to the Lord for salvation. So this is what we're about to do. This is going to be a very powerful time. We're about to do two things, and we're going to try to do them at the same time. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper where we're going to see this collision happen, the collision on the cross of our need and our sin colliding with the power of God to save. And you know that. We're going to have communion here soon. But what we're also going to do
during our communion time, we're going to have a time of what we call prayer and healing. Some of you have seen us do this for years. It's where we will have elders available to anoint you with oil and pray for you. And for years, maybe you've never come up for prayer. You've wanted to before. And you have this window here. And you're like, oh, today I'm coming. <laughs> and if you have a sickness, we'll anoint you with oil. This is not some magic hocus-pocus stuff. We're going to anoint you with oil according to James 5. We're going to pray the prayer of faith to God to intervene in your life as he sees fit. And for those of you who are not sick, but you're going through some serious stuff, here's an opportunity. Here's the window. You can pray where you're sitting, but we're going to be available for you. We'll pray with individuals. We'll pray with kids. We'll pray with couples. We'll play, pray with those struggling. We'll play, pray for roommates, whatever you want. We'll have some elders on both sides to prayer. View this as an opportunity of a window in your life right now where your need can collide in a significant way with the power and the compassion of God and he'll display much grace for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would do significant things. I just think about 2,000 years ago. Here you are healing a leper, healing uh, someone with paralysis, healing this woman of her fever. And I see how many of us are broken in our bodies, broken in our spirits, broken in our relationships, and, and we're desperate. And we're in need of healing from you. But Lord, you know that some of us are so proud right now. We're sitting there and in our minds we are proud. We are arrogant. And we think that we can handle things on our own. And Lord, how, how bad does it have to get for us to come to you for grace, for mercy, for forgiveness, for strength, for insight? How bad does it have to get? So Lord, humble us today. Help us to see in the cross this great display of your power and compassion to forgive us. May we use this time to turn to you and seek our much help that we need in our time of suffering. So I'm asking you, Lord, by faith to do significant, significant things during this prayer time and communion right now as we worship you. Significant things. In Christ's name, amen.